It shows that an NGO for media literacy and uh, battling disinformation is doing a better thing than the government. So. <laughs> Welcome to Media Minded, a podcast that helps you tell facts from fiction. Produced by Shoutout UK, the UK's leading political and media literacy education platform, in association with ACT, the Association for Citizenship Teaching. This podcast is made possible thanks to the kind support and sponsorship of the US Embassy in London and the Global Engagement Centre at the US State Department. I am your host, Matteo Bergamini, and I am here today with Felicia Nedzelski. Um, a journalist from Agora Media, which is in the country of uh, the lovely country of Moldova, which for those of you who don't quite remember your geography, is a lovely country in the middle, in between rather, uh, Ukraine and Romania. So Felicia, thank you for um, being here with us. Tell us a bit about yourself. Happy to be here. Um, so my name is Felicia. As you said, I'm 27 years old. Uh, I'm a journalist and an editor of one of the biggest news websites in Moldova called Agora. Uh, I work here for almost five years. Um, I started uh, my career in journalism in 2012. Um, so um, I'm quite near the uh, 10th anniversary in journalism. Um, well, our team, if you're interested, consists of seven, just seven journalists. Uh, it's not as big as Washington Post or uh, BBC, of course. Uh, but uh, we're doing uh, a lot of work for seven journalists. Um, me personally, I'm dealing mostly uh, with political news. Um, I uh, almost dream of them sometimes. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> no, truly, <laughs> I dream of. You can't help sometimes. sometimes. You, uh, yeah. you can, it's hard to switch off in uh, in that role. Yeah, so I'm covering mostly the works of the parliament um, and digging into bills, drafts, uh, something that most people don't understand, but it's important uh, for uh, them. It's important because sometimes it's uh, really difficultly uh, written and uh, my job is uh, doing it easier for people to understand. I'm also um, having a podcast, uh, which I'm hosting. Uh, co-hosting uh, with my partner Stefan uh, and um, we're basically uh, taking um, a topic of uh, the most hot topic of the week uh, in a political context of course and uh, we're analyzing it explaining it and just making it uh, fun to understand. Amazing amazing thank you. Um, it's interesting you, 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 you cover primarily political news because I think there's there's been a lot of discussion around what the role of the media is or yeah. should be and what's the role of responsible journalism and I think considering the pandemic and obviously in the UK Brexit and various others it kind of highlights that that question more so um, but in your role what, what do you think the role of the media and responsible journalism should be? So of course um, you can look at any journalism book and just read the pillars of journalism, so-called, that uh, media should inform people, of course, should educate them, uh, sometimes to entertain them um, and be as a platform for opinions, op-eds, and so on. Uh, but I, I think it's not only that. You can't limit uh, the role of journalism to just informing. Um, sometimes uh, it's not, not sometimes, but all the time it's important to go in depth with things, analyze, um, make comparisons, put into perspective. So um, you you can't uh, can't just say that uh, I don't know um, this thing costed this amount of money. But if you say uh, that with this amount of money you could, uh, I don't know, uh, build three hospitals. Uh, it's becoming a new thing into people's minds. So if it's a bribe, imagine if it's a bribe of several millions and with this money you can build hospitals. It's another, it's another thing people understand by reading it. Um, and of course, if we talk about pandemic here, uh, I would say that informing people is not enough totally. So media should put things differently this uh, difficult time uh, we're living in because um, 
we need to also offer people good news, something to stick to, you know, um, as as a happy moment of the day, not just to number of sick people, number of deaths, um, economical crisis, uh, just um, give people something like uh, mental health advices, maybe journals uh, of things uh, uh, you do during the day, or uh, happy moments like people who recovered from, from uh, coronavirus. Um, we actually at Agora started to do uh, every uh, couple of weeks like a kind of a um, journal of things we do as reporters in our free time as people, not just reporters. So we we tend to show our audience that we are people's people as well with our fears uh, and bills to pay and struggles. Um, we're posting uh, photos with our dogs, cats, uh, uh, environment we're working in nowadays because it's not an office, obviously, it's from our homes. Um, so yeah, I, 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 to sum up your, uh, your question and my answer is that now it's not only important to inform people, uh, but also help them to go through these difficult times. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I, can, I couldn't agree with you more. And you see, you see sometimes UK media doing this quite well, where they, you know, cover um, good news stories or people doing things or, or taking part or, you know, NHS workers and so forth. Um, just, just to highlight, you know, the positive as opposed to just the... Because otherwise it kind of feels like you're in a... Um, you're in like a biblical story where everything's raining down and things are all gonna go to go to <laughs> hell and everything's gonna end. Um, but no, I, th- I think that's a good point. And um, on 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 that point, I mean, do you? Because and and to give a bit of context, in the UK, we've been struggling a little bit with um, this 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 distrust in in media journalists, professionals, academics, even. Uh, and of course, politicians, which trust is incredibly low, uh, sometimes for for probably good reason, um, <laughs> but but sometimes not. And 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 there is this issue where this this distrust often can make work harder and can make your job harder. So are you are you finding that uh, that same situation in, in in the work you're doing in Moldova? Like is is there a lack of trust in the media, and how is that affecting what? what you guys do on a daily basis? Uh, yeah, thanks for the question. Uh, actually, when I started to work in media like seven, eight years ago, um, when I was just fresh out of university, actually, I wasn't even out of the university. I was working while in the university. Um, I um, I was told by different people, wow, that's so cool. You're working in media. You're a journalist. Well, it's, it, was, um, it was like a prestigious thing. Um, it was cool for people to uh, hear that you're a journalist, that you work in media. Um, the level of um, applicants to the university, uh, so people willing to join the journalism, um, was very high, uh, and as never before. Since then, it kind of shifted just to to almost um, impossible to form um, little groups of people who are willing to study journalism in university and you know I was well, why do you think that is why 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 is why was there that shift because um, in time uh, more politicians got their hands on media especially television uh, so in Moldova it was kind of really hard to uh, find a trustworthy and honest media outlet where uh, you can go work without being criticized or lying to yourself uh, and you just <laughs> go to to a job which you don't like and you understand that you're lying to people every day. Um, and those jobs were paying really low uh, because um, the media uh, who flourished um, was owned by rich people and political leaders. Um, they were willing to pay uh, anyone who would, uh, you know, uh, tell from the TV screen to people how great they are, what things, what great things they're doing. Uh, and of course, uh, the, the trustworthy media was poorly paid. It was mostly um, supported by um, uh, 
by the grants from outside, so, you know, money from the European Union uh, or U.S. State Department or just, you know, funding from... Uh, funding from some from outside because it was really hard to to get paid uh here by your you know the sources you have particularly um so yeah uh and besides of that uh i don't know is it just social media happened yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean social media has i think um you know diversified the um information landscape definitely but as also um, in a lot of ways, obliterated um, sure. how journalism and, and news networks t- tended to make money, which, which is a, which is of course a massive issue. <laughs> yeah, you're you're right. And uh, the thing that I noticed in time, uh, ten years ago when I was working for a newspaper, uh, I uh, I had to call everybody or meet in person to prove some information or lead I had and now they just you know tag each other on Facebook and that's it and the politicians are writing statuses on Twitter or Facebook or anything you don't have to call them anymore uh, or I, I don't know you can chat with them but uh, uh, I don't know it, it became easier to access information but uh, as well you're not getting the, the exclusive information from them uh, or it got journalists lazy uh, or other thing, you know, Facebook and the algorithm of Facebook, it started to kind of, the, 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 the feed, the news feed is a, like a mashed potatoes, I don't know, it's everything in there. <laughs> Um, and uh, it's kind of the pages uh, of um, media are not um, not that promoted and uh, don't appear as much in your uh, Facebook feed as they once were. So it's it's kind of hard to get visible on social media. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, the algorithm has obviously um, changed, and and of course, you know, Facebook and social media companies are. Um, organizations that are there to 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 make money um, mm-hmm. primarily, and obviously their algorithm is going to show you things that um, you're more likely to click on or engage with, which means you, they're going to show you things that you are um, going to are going to fit your 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 political view or your or your view or your bias towards a certain thing. Um, yeah. Which 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 obviously. So it's like an echo chamber. Yeah. It's a massive <laughs> echo chamber. Echo, echo chamber is the perfect the perfect example, and um, and obviously with 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 that and coupling the 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 you know the 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 the, the changing of how journalism or, or how news tended to make money obviously frustrates the whole process. And and of course, yeah. social media is is great in a lot of ways, but as you say, journalists can potentially become lazy. It also means that other people can pick up that 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 um that ability to to engage with people and share information and misinform people yeah and and And, you know a lot of uh, a lot of surveys sorry i interrupted you a lot of surveys uh in in moldova um a lot of surveys were conducted amongst whatever different uh different people and from different environments and anyway and most of them tell they get their stories or information from the internet from social media so it's not like they name a certain outlet or um or they say they watch tv anymore they just say i got it from facebook or i got it from twitter or i got it um and when um so see i work for an online media outlet uh and people when when I put it this way, people think maybe I'm just uh, copy pasting every day some news and I'm not producing anything that's mine. Uh, and when um, when you look at this way, uh, when all the information is on the surface and people are just picking what they like from Facebook or from Twitter and everything looks the same, uh, it's really difficult uh, to make people pay for good journalism to introduce a paywall uh so people scroll a little bit and they see a paywall and ah, i'm just gonna go and look somewhere else and they probably got this information for free 
uh, or to, to put some uh, subscription on the page, uh, newsletters. Uh, people are not willing to pay for uh, good journalism anymore because it seems like everything's on Facebook and they just pick something on that's on the surface. Yeah, it's the idea of why pay for something if you can get it for free. And of yeah. course, the quality is going to be different, but... And I guess it, it couples into the distrust of media. So if you think they're all the same and some are giving it to you for free, you will naturally go to those ones that were giving it to you for free. Um, yeah. Whilst not understanding that actually the ones that are on paywall, um, they're going to have a, a lot stricter. Not all of them, obviously, because there are some amazing publications that are still um, free to access. But quite often those legacy organizations, those organizations that have editorial structures and so have somebody needs to pay for that. Um, and if they are putting up a paywall, it often means that they have a little bit more freedom in, in how they generate their income, which, of course, means that the quality of the information is going to be slightly better. And it's a service. So if you're paying for something, yeah. you're going to expect a higher a higher standard. Um, totally. And on, on, on that point, because one of the things that some some people often often say or presume is that all news on the internet is is the same or in, in, yeah. in inverted commas, <laughs> which is which is, of course, utter garbage. Um, and is, of course, good and bad journalism. So. Um, within your organization, what's the what's the general process? So when you find a, a, a source, or when you when you have a pitch that you want to you want to write about, you want to investigate, what's the kind of process that you go for um, from from beginning to end, from when you start having an idea and then you and then you um, you end up publishing on the website? What's the process going through that? Yeah, uh, hold your thought in here because I wanted to pick up on your uh, first part of your question sure. uh, that all uh, all news are the same. Uh, so my mom often calls me and she looks at every uh, media outlet uh, like piece of news in the evening, um, journal, you know, in the evening. And she, uh, she tells me, everybody is telling the same news. There's just no differences between them. Um, and um, I tend to to have um, um, I tend to ah uh, what's the the word <sighs> I forgot the word no worries um yeah it's it's probably right to put it this way because um, if there's a couple of events happening in the the country uh, they probably is going to be the highlight of the day of any media outlet. Uh, but of course, it's all about perspective, as I said before, and uh, analyzing and putting in a different uh, ways of comparisons or uh, whatnot. And um, if you ask me how we pick the topic and how we uh, how it's evolving to to be um, to be a story, uh, so of course it's always a lead. Um, it may be a human story, a feature. Uh, it may be some um, I don't know uh, some information somebody passed to us or um, a lack of information somewhere um, and of course you you start to develop this lead you document on it um, you probably most definitely not probably should have at least two sources that can prove this piece of information different independent from each other so you can read this probably in every manual for journalism um, it's the first thing they teach you into university if you want to prove a lead you you gotta call to different sources um and of course after that uh it's it's great it's great of course it's great if they're the same kind of these two opinions two points of view uh so it may be not not be a conflict but uh, uh you, just, you just put out there a nice story and that's it but if there's a conflict you should uh, obviously dig more into that uh and maybe have third fourth opinion on that and not just opinion but this all things should be backed up with uh, a lot of uh, documentation yourself and fact-checking and digging into a lot of uh, paperwork as well because uh, that's an idealistic image of journalists sometimes that uh, they're out there having drinks with their sources um, catching a lead um, every day, every evening while they hang out in the, the city, you know. But... Um, <laughs> 
you, you know this romanticized image of uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of with the, uh, with the, the press movies. journal with the little hat with the little uh, yeah, tag, yeah, that's um, right, the little tag press, press, <laughs> press and, and and the pen uh, up here on the, uh, on your ear, um, and always with this notebook where you're scribbling something in. Um, but yeah, um, I think I had this uh, romantic image of journalists as well when I was in university. But in time, I understood um, that it's it's mostly you're mostly an office bug or a home bug, uh, a plankton. You know, you're always covered in uh, some paperwork or uh, mostly not papers nowadays because we should uh, save forests uh, and a switch to online but of course it's a lot of tabs open uh, into the browser uh, and you're just scrolling around when you hit that point one yeah that's that's the story about so of course uh, you need a lead you need to prove uh, this lead with uh, independent sources from each other uh, and of course dig into this uh, whole topic yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh, amazing and 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 that's i think the the thing that and then maybe there is there is a lesson here to be learned about demystifying what journalists do because often there is this idea now that journalism is just as you say maybe a copy and paste job or you just find yeah. an angle and decide to write about it and then it goes straight up on the website when in reality of course there's a lot of background work a lot of blood sweat and tears almost that goes into that um which people don't totally don't appreciate sometimes and they compare you know publications that have editorial standards like yours to publications that will just pump out misinformation just just for the sake of getting getting ratings or or or, you know twitter accounts or whatever that are sharing misinformation which which is which is a problem because you know journalism or good journalism has a very very rigid standard and um a lot of checks and balances that go into it not just within your organization but like here in the uk if if um you know there are regulators that make sure that you know, news networks and so forth don't overstep the mark or, or, or you know, cover mm-hmm. things in a certain way. Absolutely. We have this thing only for uh, audiovisuals, so for TV and radio. We don't have this for online media. Um, and in Eastern Europe and with other countries with um, uh, not that good level of democracy, um, sometimes these regulations... Um, can be tricky so uh, maybe those people just try to use these uh, regulations as uh, something to get rid of uh, the the media that that doesn't suit their um, needs or uh, are just Mm. uncomfortable and and do you you find that quite a bit I mean in in Moldova particularly I mean we just to clarify we in the UK don't have a regular for um, online either although most big um publications that are online are still also um also offline and now regulators like ipso for example for for print media are also regulating or or are starting to regulate um the larger Mm -hmm. online online publications which frankly i think is a good thing um but it's interesting because of course regulators um regulators rely on being impartial and if they are influenced then then that can pose a whole heap of other problems i mean do do you find that in moldova the regulators are are a good thing or or a hindrance to journalism sometimes uh you know some people uh, people that work uh into uh the one of the the main regulator uh, of audiovisual in uh, moldova are uh named by the parliament uh so sometimes um so i i think they're is biased definitely in those regulators. Uh, sometimes um, one media outlet can be uh, punished too badly just because uh, the people into the, the the council that particular council are just um, named by another political party who is not supporting the uh the punished <laughs> um, the channel <laughs> yeah, or tv yeah, yeah. outlet you know uh, but we also have uh so just to to make it clear our president and uh, the party that backs him up has uh, a couple of uh tv channels um three or four if i'm correct um and 
every day you could see just how great the president is, how great the party is, uh, and 90% of the, the news on the uh, the channels are about how great um how great deeds uh, he's doing for the country uh, and on the other hand um, while this pandemic happened uh, the president which has four TV channels uh, said that media which spreads uh, four, four did four, you say? Four, three or four four, uh, three or four said that so he's almost on Berlusconi's level yeah, yeah. it's kind of like that uh, <laughs> little oligarchs from uh, Eastern Europe <laughs> so fun um, so the guy said I, I can only imagine <laughs> So uh, the guy said that um, while the um, uh, pandemic was happening, that the media which spreads the false information may receive criminal punishment. Uh, so who decides what is false wow. and what's not? It could be just an instrument of getting rid of uncomfortable press. So there's no regulations, just if the president says so that those guys are promoting false information. It's it, Who decides what's false and what's not? Uh, and security and intelligence service in Moldova basically uh, closed around 50 websites uh, recently because of the pandemic that were marked as false, uh, that they, I don't know, uh, spread misinformation about uh, COVID-19. Uh, but you know what's the funny thing? Uh, they took the list of this false websites from um, uh, NGO that uh, is combating misinformation. So <laughs> an NGO that's um, uh, battling misinformation had this list of false websites uh, that was hanging on the website for quite a while and the intelligence service just took it from the, an NGO's website and closed the websites. Great, great job, guys. <laughs> But I mean, do you think that's could, could you could you not argue that that's potentially a good thing? Because I mean, that NGO, if they're combating misinformation and have and have marked those websites as being propagators of misinformation, the government censoring or closing those sites down means that there's more space for for organisations like yours who are actually putting out good journalism. Don't they, could that be not seen as a good thing? Maybe um, you could put it this way, but uh, the way I. Uh, I saw it when I first read the news uh, is that the government is doing a bad thing if they take uh, a list that already exists and was um, put together by an NGO uh, and takes down websites who, uh, well, they, they didn't research for them. They didn't do much intelligence work. They just copy-pasted it from an NGO's website. What, what kind of security service is that? Uh, so you, <laughs> it, it doesn't. It doesn't. An NGO it doesn't is doing a better job. Faith. Say again. <laughs> it it doesn't bring much faith in the security service. Yeah, like, that's yeah, right. Sure, let's, uh, it shows that an NGO for media literacy and uh, battling misinformation is doing a better thing than the government. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean it, it is. It's 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 puzzling and worrying i mean you you'd think okay start with that list maybe and do your own research or do your own investigation <laughs> um and then and then also it, it it begs the question of is censorship the right way to go because like you were saying earlier you know there's criminal charges being put on journalists that are supposedly putting out misinformation but if if that's arbitrary and there are no clear distinction of what what that means um how how is that any way shape or form not potentially going to be abused yeah that's a question that's the that's a very valid question and i don't know how to answer that because uh, really there's a million dollar question yeah you yeah that yourself <laughs> <laughs> i really want to know an answer to that yeah um speaking of um mis misinformation of course because um one of the things uh, as we talked about earlier is is that misinformation? I mean, it's it's always existed in one form, be it either propaganda or, or be it um, just just. I mean, the internet has just ballooned it to to, to a larger yeah. extent. Um, but how have you you seen misinformation in, in 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 your in your neck of the woods in your country? And and what what kind of misinformation have you encountered primarily during during this crisis? Yeah, right. So I want to just go back and tell you that with the pandemic, everybody started to work from home uh, in our crew. 
starting um, uh, 13th March or something like that. Uh, so a couple of days after the first case. Um, I think nobody really thought it's going to be a month and a half of only Telegram chats and Hangout Zoom conferences. Um, obviously, um, in time it got really difficult because um, our officials banned every single journalist from the official briefings. So now the official briefings are filmed only by two crews uh, of cameramen. So it's the national TV uh, and the biggest video streaming service in Moldova, the other crew. Um, we can't address any questions to the officials. So it's the first step that we just looking at them online. Um, and that's it. They say only what they want to say. Um, so at first we didn't even know how many tests they've done, uh, how many tests there were, uh, how many um, medical uh, healthcare workers were um, infected by coronavirus. Because uh, they were just uh, coming up and saying um, today 100 people this day 150 and that's it so just uh, pure statistics um, on top of that government decided that uh, in time of state emergency uh, that was issued also in March um, a request for public information is not to be satisfied in 15 days as it in normal time but in 45 yeah. days so they tripled the um, uh, time for them to, to offer a response for um, a public request. So now we can't address questions and uh, it takes forever to receive an answer uh, via email because 45 days, who, who needs that answer after 45 days? Um, yeah, I mean, especially now with instant news where, you know, everyone is expecting things to be reported as they happen. True. Um, by the time you get an answer after 45 days, you've you've had about 45 days worth of news that you've got to yeah. cover as well. So, uh, I mean, that's that's incredible. So I know you asked initially about uh, misinformation, but I wanted to 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 bring uh, this situation as well because um, it leads to misinformation because it's lack of information, and when there is no information or that's lack of information of course people are going to imagine things that that are probably not happening but if they don't have official data um media can't prove them wrong that it's false and uh, it's probably uh not that bad as it is or probably is bad but you know just one example um of misinformation i i, I could uh, could tell you could bring you uh is an audio that was intensely shared um on our uh, social media of a woman that warns her friend uh, about uh, thousands or hundreds of dead people bodies uh of uh, i don't know laying around in hospitals because they are dead of coronavirus Mm, the other one was uh, in a form of announcement. It was like copy-pasted uh, in different messengers that helicopters are going to spray some disinfectant on the city and so people keep their windows closed. Uh, another one was... Uh, Jesus. Uh, just, just the last one. I know you said one yeah, thing. No, go for it, go for it. Yeah. Uh, another thing uh, that I can remember is also warning uh, sent on messengers like Viber or WhatsApp or Telegram that there are thieves dressed as medical workers that uh, can knock at your door and uh, tell you that they need to test you and they rob you and they go away. So of course those uh, obviously were fakes, but um, now now not the police, not the um, uh, Ministry of Health, not other uh, officials um, told people that it's not true. So people just imagined things that weren't there. So we 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 took this obvious false information uh, and we made the calls um, and uh, put put out their news that it obviously is not true um, but it would be great if um, officials uh, react themselves on those uh, false information 
I, I, I think I think I think there's a, there's a lot of truth in there. And by the way, the um the fake workers robbing you, um, Miss Info piece. Um, we we I received that as well on WhatsApp. Um, wow. I'm not gonna say by so uh, it's global. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna say by which uh, family member, but yeah, I received that one as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is um, I mean, but yeah, you understand why people. You can understand why people get caught up in this, and I think you you, you raised a really brilliant point, and that is the lack of information uh, creates almost like a vacuum, and people want to Absolutely. fill it with with something. It's like it's an age old thing that human beings have been doing for generations. You know, like. And obviously, coronavirus is the perfect example of this, where um, obviously the science needed to catch up. They needed to investigate the virus. Um, you know, th- there was a lag into understanding what this thing was, which is perfectly understandable because they're not superheroes. They need time to research and do all of that kind of <laughs> sure. stuff. Um, but people want information now. And with the technological landscape that we're living in, people don't want to wait two minutes. They don't want to wait three days. They want it now. As soon as the thing happens, they want to know who to blame where it's come from, why it's there, and how they can be it within several seconds. And that's problematic. And that window gives people that want to spread misinformation for whatever reason. It could be it, it could be by specific actors or it could be just people wanting to lead them to a site to make a bit of money off of advertising. Um, it gives them a perfect window to fill that that void with 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 garbage. Um and really and, and yeah, obviously in and a pandemic people are terrified people are naturally scared so they're more easily tricked into into believing this uh, this this stuff i'm curious because you also said that um you know be uh, it'd be good if if agencies came out and said um or, or said themselves or myth busted themselves and i i wonder how effective that would be because i'll give you an example in um in in the uk like we have obviously had this whole uh 5g uh link with conspiracy yeah. <laughs> conspiracy theory <laughs> <laughs> i was going to bring that up in the what the hell moment <laughs> i've got so many stories about that i um uh yeah i mean we've we've read up on it so much i i uh i yeah uh, it's 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 lunacy <laughs> but um not not to take away your your what the hell moment because we'll move on to that in a second yeah. but um <laughs> The G the 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 five G one's interesting because um every government agency that was involved or, or that was pinpointed by these conspiracy theorists as well as a load of universities across the UK have outwardly said this is rubbish this is not true categorically <laughs> this is not true um, and yet we still had about twenty odd masts phone masts burned down in the UK people are still sharing this stuff. Um, so I wonder how effective it would be for government agencies to to come out and, and, and debunk this stuff themselves um, rather than, than journalists. I think both should do it. But how effective would it be if those agencies did come out and say, like, would people believe them? Yeah, you're, you're right. It's probably got to be a teamwork. Uh, and it depends very much on the level of uh, trust people have in state agencies um, and the level of transparency the government has on a daily, ba- daily basis. So um, it's not only, you know, they lie to you all the time and it's a spark of uh, transparency one day. Um, it's probably uh, it probably should build up in time, um, and of course, uh, uh, if uh, the government is trust- trustworthy, people are gonna listen to to them debunking myths. Um, but also, I wanted to um, to bring a perspective into this uh, about conspiracy theory and whatnot and uh, people sending uh, false messages to uh, family members and so on. Um, You could probably uh, tell people that there are uh, ways and ways of debunking myths uh, and um, and educate yourself about... um, uh, how false is this information uh, and if it's true or false uh, we also in Moldova have a great website called stopfalse.md which does a lot of checking fact checking and stands as an etalon for clean journalism for many of us uh, but you know it's a matter of the bubble that eco chamber I mentioned before to you uh, if you may so kind of serious media and trustworthy media is followed mostly by people who are more educated more like more likely to know the truth from false uh and it can the 
it's kind of difficult to uh, shatter that wall, that glass between um, people who are sharing those false information, and uh, they don't usually uh, follow the trustworthy media, so uh, they encounter uh, serious articles by chance, and they're not following it on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, of course, and then they... And they tend to believe this stuff um, because they're in that they're in that um, that that echo chamber, that bubble, um, which I think is propagated in a lot of ways with with social media algorithms. That when you click on a certain story or when you believe yeah. a certain thing, you end up receiving more stuff. I mean, that's uh, if you look at my um, my uh, YouTube um, suggested uh, videos now <laughs> after after doing a bit of digging around some of these conspiracy theories for some of the media literacy work we do I'm getting suggested oh you might find this interesting um, <laughs> revealed how the coronavirus and 5G yes. are linked or, or whatever yes. else which is which is problematic because I mean as a journalist what kind of advice can you give to 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 all of us because we, we are all in the, in, in a bubble of, of something that like I have uh, political views I've got biases you've got them as well we all have them Um and I think it's important to be aware of that bias, but also to be aware of that uh, that echo chamber, that that bubble that that surrounds us in social media. And how do we how do we best deal with that? How can we make sure to have a more more balanced view when we when we research things online? Um, yeah, well, if uh, um, if a piece of information as a journalist don't make you uncomfortable or something like that uh, especially politically or um, when you're dealing with a conspiracy theory or something like that uh, if you are totally um, um, supporting this you probably should should ask yourself a question uh, aren't you biased on that matter so uh, of course it should feel a little uncomfortable or uh, you just need to find balance uh, on with your opinions and um, try to be open to other opinions as well and it's it's vital for uh, for this job for this career of journalist and for this field um, you can't be totally uh, I don't know satisfied with a piece of news that you read there gotta be something on the scale just your opinion and others opinion Uh, so um, even if you don't like uh, the source you're calling to to offer a comment on something or uh, you're not uh, really supporting his or her view um, you must put it into the the article of course or into the video or into into that piece of news you're uh, issuing um i uh, i was uh, a lot of times i was going to some protests uh in in Kishinev. so i i've had a lot of vox populi with people out there who were protesting about something uh or i went to i don't know political rallies or um i i got to, to talk with supporters of uh, uh political parties uh, views of which I am not uh, um, um, supporting. Um, so, um, which I'm sure is awkward at times. Yeah, or can uh, be awkward you at need, times. You, you need to listen to those people with a straight face, of course, uh, and <laughs> even if all they're talking is like what the f is going on uh you're going through your head oh my god i i i i can't believe uh this uh this human being this person is telling me uh this kind of things uh but you still gotta um, uh gotta put you gotta it give them a fair chance yeah, right you gotta make yeah. sure that 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 view is fairly represented you can't pick just somebody um whose views you support only because that is bias and you you need to to have a certain level of uncomfortability <laughs> yeah no of course of course um and and that's and it's important i think for for all of us to take away from because as as journalists as you as you said you know you put yourself in positions listen to views or um uh, you know go to protests and so forth or just listen to government officials which are, are talking or espousing a view that you may not necessarily agree with but that's that's your own bias and you need to put that away to make sure that the story is best representative of what's 
of what their argument is. And we as consumers need to also, I think, be aware that we also have biases. And just because a journalist is writing about a story does not mean that that's necessarily the full picture. It's important to read around the subject, um, yeah. just just in general. Um, as a political journalist, uh, sorry, as a no, political no, journalist, I um, I encountered a lot of. Um, uh, I've had messages in in DM, you know, on Facebook, uh, from um, MPs from the parliament, you know, um, telling me. Uh, I read this article uh, article of yours and I'm not supporting it. Uh, you're biased towards the other politician from the opposed party. And then the other politician is writing me, you know, you're biased towards the first one who, who wrote me in the first place. And it's, it's a good thing if both uh, sides uh, of the political spectrum uh, are uh, saying that to you. Uh, it, it means that um, it, your checks and balances are okay, and um, you're not uh, favoring one or another. So, yeah, no, that's that's a good sign. It's, it's a very good sign. It's a very good sign. I know um, several BBC journalists have always said to me that if you are equally disliked by both sides and you're being called both left <laughs> and right wing it shows that you're actually doing something right and you're doing balanced totally. journalism <laughs> um, but it also i think deeper kind of signifies a, a bigger part a bigger I- issue that you see politicians um, and i think in, in many many countries um, regardless of how how democratic they are you, you see this issue where politicians are trying to politicize journalists and if you don't like something you're trying to name it as misinformation or your bias just because they don't like that view that you're that you're espousing or whatever um yeah it startles me that somebody is just um feels free to uh direct message you or call you and uh just call your names um and they they feel free to do that to a journalist. Come on, I mean, come on, guys. That's not how you do it. <laughs> I mean, believe it or not, you are human beings as well. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. I mean, on that on that point, um, I'd love to hear uh, as we've we mentioned before your what the hell moments because I'm sure you've got some. Um, I'm sure you've got some uh, either from the pandemic uh, a bit of misinformation you may have heard that's kind of like blown your mind although frankly I don't think I can hear another bit of misinformation that's more insane than than the 5G link but um, yeah I think that I think that kind of tops it I really do but um, yeah what's what's have you had any sort of what the hell moments just in in recently just covering the pandemic or just in general in your work yeah so i had two of them this morning you wouldn't believe that uh the first one is actually a true piece of news uh that president donald trump um suggested that uh coronavirus may be killed by injecting disinfectant in your body that was a major what the hell moment for me i was like uh, I was doing faces like for 15 minutes this morning. I couldn't believe this. Uh, I just translated it from BBC or CNN uh, or uh, any major media outlet to, to Romanian to post it. And I, I couldn't believe it. I was generally shocked by this uh, particular moment. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, was, other- that, was, um, <laughs> that, that was kind of surreal. I think I had to listen to it about three or four times before i actually uh, <laughs> like you, you know when you hear something i don't know if you've ever come across you know when you hear something and your brain is telling you no no that's that's just clearly not what you heard <laughs> that's not uh, you're, you're clearly like so, something in your brain is, is is making that up like that's not what you're hearing and and of course that is very much something he said and and it really makes you realize how important it is to to counter information that that comes out like that because you're you're potentially endangering people's lives mm-hmm. by 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 saying those kind of things especially if you're a politician as as powerful as he is yes the populism is a very um dangerous method and way and everything and you know uh, our president as well had a glorious what the hell moment uh, on the TV uh, just a couple of weeks ago. He said, you know, coronavirus uh, is just like the flu. 
uh, a little bit, your uh, nose is runny and you maybe even uh, don't feel that you're sick and it's gonna go away. So um, you don't worry, guys. It's it's a bit of uh, flu. And there are people dying of COVID-19. Uh, uh, the, the, the numbers are growing each day. And the president of the country is saying that, you know, guys, it's just a runny nose. Come on. Yeah. This um, is the president of, a Mo- of Moldova, just to clarify, yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's our president, great, like... guys. <laughs> yeah. um, and maybe to top this, uh, to make it top three of what the hell moments, just to not overwhelm you guys by, um, by the stupidness of some things, uh, is um, maybe another conspiracy... But I, know, I don't know it's, if it's a conspiracy theory, but it's like a theory that COVID-19 uh, can be neutralized by another virus, which is herpes. Herpes? Uh, herpes, yes. As in the herpes? <laughs> yes, as in okay. the herpes. Um, that, that one I haven't heard of. Um. <laughs> yeah, that's new. I read about it today. Uh, and of course, um, I, I searched for it. I tried to fact check and the WHO, so the World Health Organization, uh, has no evidence and no link whatsoever between these two, uh, viruses. But this is like, <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> I can't it's, even, <laughs> I mean, it's hilarious, but also like th- this one's a perfect example, right? Because, um, you know the 5g thing any any rational human being that doesn't need to seek professional help can see that that's clearly not true and because it's become so popular the irony is is that a lot of academics universities uh, news networks fact checkers have all come out and fact checked it aggressively to show that it's mm-hmm. not true but and you can see like the in the early days of that conspiracy much like in the early days of potentially this this one that links to herpes is that <laughs> Because it's not on the radar or of a lot of um, medical organizations or universities or whatever else, it can spread quite easily because, like you say, the WHO doesn't talk about it. So, of course, it's not true, but because it doesn't talk about it, and it's not the WHO's fault because, let's be honest, it can't just randomly fact-check every single thing that people come up with, but because there's nothing on there, conspiracy theorists and people that are susceptible to this stuff can say oh well it's it, it well you can't prove it's not true the who doesn't talk about it and therefore yes it may or may not yes. and, and that's that kind of like that kind of that's middle more dangerous. That, that's, that, that's where it lives it's that kind of like just before it becomes big enough for other organizations to fact check it it can spread like wildfire and really damage a lot of people um yeah you know if there is not a contra argument to that and that's no proof of it being false so it's it's even more dangerous in the, the that particular period of time totally. yeah yeah exactly um and, and that's the thing Unt- until it gets big enough or until fact checkers pick it up or you know medical organizations pick it up and decide to then go in and start researching and fact checking this stuff just to conclusively disprove there's enough people out there that have shared it and believe in it to then it, it, it become an issue so i, I mm-hmm. guess there's, there's a question here really about is there actually a duty almost of care um, that these medical organizations have, or maybe even new sites working with these medical organizations to seek out and actively disprove these uh, mis- bits of misinformation before they become a trend almost? Because if you remember, like in the UK, the only reason why um, 5G and so forth was picked up because a couple of celebrities in the UK decided to share it by accident. Um, and that balloon yeah and people look up to them so i wonder if if there's there's almost like a duty of care that maybe media organizations and and health organizations need to potentially start working together to almost seek out and disprove these things before they become a potential trend i mean do do you think there's some um i i think it's a you have a valid point here um uh, i've seen um um I've seen big uh, media outlets uh, having um, separate fact check on uh, COVID-19 myths, uh, even small ones. Uh, and I think maybe um, maybe there should be 
like an NGO or something like that, uh, which is empowered by uh, government or healthcare officials to uh, search for those um, false information, misinformation, and at at the very uh, low stage, so they don't blow uh, blow up and. Um, uh, they don't have time to get bigger. Uh, and I, I think it should be as a teamwork between health uh, care workers and media or um, as a, an independent outlet, which is uh, dealing only with this, only for this period of time only, um, and to debunk this myths really quick. Because um, to to go back a little bit um about the eco chamber thing um this is the biggest mission of all to break this glass to those people who are not following the trustworthy media who are only in this bubble of uh misinformation and clickbait uh, and this i think is the the biggest challenge to 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 get those people to uh believe the true information and not get lured by the the false information and clickbait yeah and, and not and not get caught up in it i mean how how do you think we can do that i mean what's the i know there's no golden or silver bullet but how do we how do we how do we start to i mean is it and of course i'm going to be saying this but is it a fact that we need to have media literacy in in schools to make sure that at a younger age People know you how wouldn't to believe me. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I firmly believe uh, that um, a lot of uh, fundamental thing we believe in, or um, um, that a part of us now as an adults are formed in school when the um, character uh, of ours and the minds are still uh, still can be molded uh, and you know you can put a seed in there that's gonna grow and um keep roots in there uh so yeah totally i um i very much encourage uh everybody to study media literacy and um combat misinformation at the younger age uh because uh, as people grow up they'll have that fundamental base of what is true and what is false and how to uh, know one from another. Uh, in Moldova is not yet very um, uh, developed. Uh, so the media literacy in schools is not very developed. And uh, I think that is what um, ma- what's making uh, adults susceptible to fake information false information misinformation lack of information call it as you may uh but if this is going to blow up the media literacy is going to 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 take higher rates uh will end up with less uh people who are believing in uh total rubbish (laughs) yeah yeah no true true and um with your 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 own work. So um, with, with the stories that you've published and so forth, I'd love to to explore a little little bit uh, about that. I mean, like like we we talked about before, and we touched on a few times. Um, bias is of course a thing. Um, people have biases. Um, they can be harmless biases. You know, um, you may have a bias yeah. towards a certain bit of food. So if I asked you what what food I should have for dinner tonight, you will suggest things that you like. That's, that's your bias. And that's harmless, right? It's it's completely harmless. Same could go for music Absolutely. or whatever else. Um, and on the other hand, biases can also be incredibly negative, especially when it comes down to how you view someone based on their race or religion or ethnicity or uh, gender or whatever else, right? But we all yeah, have yeah, yeah. biases, whether they be innocent or, or, or more... Or, or more problematic, but we all have them, and it's I think important to recognize that we have these biases. But often that's quite hard because self-reflection is, let's be honest, probably one of the hardest things you can do. Um, but how do you, as a as a um, reporter in your everyday, I mean, how do you 
deal with that with that bias when covering a story. I know you've touched on it before around, you know, when when you go to a protest, you're thinking in your head being like, Christ, this guy's a I was about to swear there, but you know what I mean? I mean this person's not quite right yeah, in the yeah. head. But how can you stop that from essentially affecting the way you work? Because when we're when we're reading a story, quite often um and then you know everyone's i think at fault of this i'm i I know i am sometimes you know i'll read a story that aligns with my view or my bias i will be less likely to question that story or fact check it than a story that um doesn't side with my bias and how do we i think more than the more than the um than the echo chambers or, or the social media bubbles i think that's also problematic because we 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 put less scrutiny on things that we want to be true and I think in journalism, there is, of course, that issue as well, because you, you are human beings, we pointed out. How do you, how do you make sure that, that, that your own internal biases don't influence how much you work on a story or, or, or whatever else? How, how do you make sure that that doesn't, that doesn't influence? You know, <laughs> that's a million-dollar question number two. Um, that's really difficult for anybody and for journalists as well, because, you know, journalists provide... Um, um, information to other people and is basically setting an agenda for everybody else. Uh, if a journalist in the first place decided that this is newsworthy, this is what people are going to read in the end, uh, if you selected this kind of lead, this kind of information, uh, and you let the other one out, that's where uh, the first bias is coming in. Um, so when you're deciding for a story to be born or to be uh, written about or filmed about. It's the first step. Uh, if you just say, this human story is not going to be interesting for people, that's the first bias. The other bias is when you select an angle for this article, for this video, uh, for this feature. Um, and, you know, you kind of need to embrace that at some point that there are always going to be um, a diversity of media outlets um, left ones right ones uh, oriented on human story oriented on politics and that's the beauty of uh, democracy and of the media landscape that is uh, different and you can pick what you like to pick but of course if you feel like one story uh, that you're gonna write about or film about um, is affected very much by your bias better pass it to your colleague uh, this is what happened to me once I have a friend um, her mother is an MP in the parliament uh, we were friends long before she was in politics. Her mother was in politics. But um, whenever I have to write something about her mother, I ask my colleague. I never, um, I never do that because you know she, the, my friend is my friend, and that's her mother. And I never would um, pick a story which criticizes her. I, um, you know, I don't. Isn't that a conflict of interest, though? Isn't that a yeah, conflict of interest? I, as a journalist yeah that, uh, that's the one um or i don't know writing about your neighbor or writing about someone in your family that that shouldn't be out there uh if that is someone from your family or <clears throat> someone that um is close to you uh you better just pass this story to other media outlet or to same media outlet but just another colleague to to deal um with this story uh, I firmly believe you shouldn't um, take a story like that into into writing or filming because it clearly will affect the outcome of your of your of your relationship and so of course and and when when you say yeah. just to clarify yeah, yeah. when you say that you um, wouldn't write a story on on her, on 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 your friend's mother for example being an MP it's not that, it's not it's not that your publication wouldn't you just pass that story on to to someone else that yeah my publication is still writing it because if that's an interesting story to tell or uh, an opinion to tell uh, of course we're gonna pick it up but um i'm not i'm just not gonna do it myself which um, is fair enough and, i think um, i think, that, I think that's, a, that's a decent go between because it's you're you're not sacrificing your integrity as a journalist you're just saying that i'm too close to this story i'm going to be biased 
yes. let me pass it on to a colleague that can be that can be brutally fair if need be um i think that's the first step to recognize there is a problem or there is a bias you can uh, uh, it's like you know the first uh, thing to uh, that leads to a healing <laughs> sorry my light came <laughs> i was in the dark <laughs> yeah no i saw now your light suddenly come on <laughs> yeah but no worries light at the end of the tunnel yeah. yay <laughs> um and the, just to go back a little bit bit on the bias i think uh for journalists it's important to surround themselves with um as much as as less of the echo chamber as possible so to follow people um officials or uh, public figures that uh you're not um uh, you're not sharing their views so just be sure you read their points of view all the time that they're in your news feed that um you don't just surround yourself with um with people you totally <laughs> the people that you that you that have the yeah. same view yeah no of course and i think that's yes, that's yes. that's a step but i think the step one like you rightly said is very much so that you got to recognize that you have said bias and i think anybody that says that i'm completely unbiased you're, you're, you're kidding yourself everybody has a bias um and several biases yes. towards stuff and they could be harmless or they could be a little less harmless but the, the important thing is to recognize those biases and then uh, act accordingly to make sure that you are outside of your comfort zone, which is which is completely 100% um, correct. Yes. <laughs> um, Felicia, thank you so much. Um, just before you go, um, where can people um, find you, find your work, and and read about read some of the stuff that you've that you published, uh, either on socials or uh, via your website? Thank you guys for having me. It was a great talk uh you can find me uh on facebook and instagram felicia nezelski it's a difficult name but i believe in the description of the podcast it's going to be written down we will put it in there yeah. yes <laughs> so please guys follow me there uh, write to me if you're interested about moldovan landscape uh, political or just natural landscape just write me about anything you like uh, i'll be happy to answer you Fantastic. And what's and and if people wanted to check out and uh, and, and read some of the some of the articles from your uh, from your publication's website, what is it again? It's it's called Agora. Um, it's like a um, public place in ancient Greece. So it's A G O R A dot M D. Uh, access it. It's unfortunately only in Romanian, so the native la language of uh, Moldovans. Uh, but you always can translate it to English in your browser. So um, uh, there's where there's a will, there's a way, guys. <laughs> beauty, the beauty of uh, the beauty of uh, simultaneous translation. Uh, thank you very much, Felicia, for that, and thank you for listening to Media Minded, the podcast that helps you tell facts from fiction. Produced by Shatter UK, recorded and edited by Sabina McKenzie Brown. This podcast is made possible thanks to the kind support and sponsorship of the US Embassy here in London and the Global Engagement Centre at the US State Department. <laughs>